God. Good morning, everyone. And praise God. You know that Malachi chapter 3 says, uh, if we'll tithe, if we'll give 10% to the Lord, God says he'll pour out the blessings of, of heaven and rebuke the devourer. And that's what Kurt was talking about. God brings restoration, amen? So as, as you're being faithful to the Lord, he's, he's good. Well, uh, glad you're here. Good morning on this, uh, we're getting close to summer here. It feels like summer. But um, we, um, <clears throat> what was I doing? Oh yeah, I'm supposed to preach. Hi, my name's Dave. So, uh, all right, turn with me to Romans chapter 14, all right? Romans chapter 14. And uh, we've been, we've been uh, talking about what it would look like for earth to look like heaven. And, and this morning, what I want to talk to you about, very, very specifically, is I want to talk to you about how to create heaven's atmosphere in your home, in your workplace, uh, your business, your relationships, your family, uh, and, you know, so, but I'm going to use some specific examples from the home, but it would make a really long title to just put like all those other places. But basically, how is it that we can create, if you will, uh, the atmosphere of heaven, I'll explain what I mean by that, here on earth. And what I want to do is I'm going to walk you through a couple passages of scripture, Romans 14, and then I'll let you know right now, we're going to turn also to Luke chapter 6 in a little bit. And in Romans chapter 14 and in Luke chapter 6, I want to develop a principle for you that I'll be honest with you, just, just flow with me here. This is one of the most fun, foundational principles for understanding relationships. I want to talk to you about our relationships about how to create the atmosphere of heaven in our homes and our relationships and our workplaces and things like that. And this is super important for that. And the principle I'm going to talk about uh, can apply to a lot of things, but we're going to focus on relationships. And there's one principle I want to give you, though we'll probably run into a bunch of other principles along the way. You know how that is, right? So we're going to journey into this. And I think this is going to, uh, is going to be pretty powerful. So, uh, Lord, we pray that you would just give us, uh, you'd speak to us and give us your word. And so, Lord, we open our hearts to what you would have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in Romans 14, verse 14, we're going to start in that, uh, on, on verse 14, we're going to read down to uh, about 19 there. Romans 14, Paul says this, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore do, do, uh, therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men." Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. And he goes on. So let me just give you the context here and then we'll get down to kind of the point that I think uh, is an important point here. If you remember that the book of Romans, Paul is communicating the gospel or the good news of our salvation. Romans is one of the most important books to understanding our salvation. And I would also add, understanding how the kingdom operates. Understanding how to establish heaven on earth. Romans. You know, the, Romans would be like number one, except for like the gospels. And in Romans, if you remember, chapters 1 through 11 primarily are talking about what Jesus has done for us and the implications, which is what we've been talking about for months now, right? The fact that God loves us and desires a relationship with us and so shed the blood of his son Jesus and by the blood of Jesus now we are sinless, righteous, holy, blameless in God's sight. And now because our sin has been forgiven and we're right with God, we have peace with God. His favor's on us. He delights in us, right? This is what we've been talking about for a while. The heart of God towards us, our identity in Christ. That's what Romans is talking about. I'd encourage you, you know, it's one of the most important books in the New Testament, in the, in the whole Bible. Uh, it still is one of my favorite, but when I was a new believer, I just read it over and over and over again, right? Well, in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul shifts from talking more about what Jesus has done 
And in chapter 12 through 16, he talks a lot about the implications of how we're to live this out in relationship. So most of chapter 12, 13, 14, 15 is about what it looks like to be in community. And we'll actually probably go into those chapters uh, later this year as we talk more about how to walk in unity and just tighter community and things like that. But right there in chapter 14, what he's talking about is he's dealing with a particular issue that these believers are facing. Now, in our culture, we're not really dealing with like eating and drinking issues, generally speaking, right? Like, like the very first verse is not really an issue for many of us today. I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Most of us are like, yes, yeah, so what, right? Like most of us have no clue what he's talking about. Why? Because in those days... Food was a really, really important thing as it pertained to spiritual or religious or ceremonial things. They believed that you could become unclean, literally, like there could be like a spiritual, uh, by being unclean, you could be spiritually out of alignment and you could like attract, quote unquote, bad luck, demons. Now we don't, we don't like, we don't really, uh up with that, right? You know what I'm saying? We have peace with God and we have authority over demons. We don't believe in bad luck and fate and all that, but they did. So they struggled with this. And in fact, you, you know, maybe if you know a little bit about the Old Testament and like kosher laws, still today, they won't eat pig. Why? They're unclean. It's against the law. What Paul is trying to teach them is now that we're in Christ, Jesus has fulfilled the law. He says everything that God made, all the food, all the drink is good. And you're not more right with God or more holy or have more character because you don't eat meat or pig or something like that. And that's what they're dealing with. You're talking about a church in Rome who this letter is written to with Jews and Gentiles with different eating rules, with different ceremonial rules, with different cultural rules, and they were having some conflict. And literally some Christians were judging others, right? Like, I don't eat meat, so I'm more spiritual than you. And the other person would look at him and be like, well, I know that like, eating meat's not like a big deal because like, I understand the gospel. Like, I'm free and I can eat meat, so I'm more spiritual than you. Because like I know the freedom I have in Christ. And you're like just bound in these old rules. Oh no, I'm more, I'm more devoted and like I'm a vegetarian because, you know, right? And, and honestly, we, don't mind, we don't, really don't deal with that in the religious way that they did. Okay, so honestly, there's really, uh, to be honest, there's not really a parallel for what they're dealing with today. People nowadays, they try to like find parallels with like watching movies or something. And it's a little bit shaky to make that kind of parallel. But there is a principle, there's a number of principles here, isn't there? I'll tell you the number one bottom line, the number one principle is simply this. Verse 15, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. What's the whole point of Romans 12, 13, 14? What's the whole point of what he's talking about? Love. Now it takes us maybe doing some other, looking up some other scriptures to find out like what does Paul really mean by love? How do we really walk in love? But notice that he says, he says, man, it would be better for you, later on, he says, it would be better if you never even eat meat. You know, he's talking to the guy who's like, knows he has freedom. It would be better for you to never eat meat than to destroy your brother with your knowledge that eating meat's okay. He's, what he's trying to say is, is saying, the bottom line is love. What would love do? What does love do? And that's where we can really take that principle away from this. You know, we don't really struggle with the whole eating meat thing, but what we can look at is in any conflict that we're looking at, or in anything like, well, like I don't mind having a beer, right? The Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that drinking alcohol is uh, sin. Drunkenness is sin, amen? Sometimes people get a little bit too buzzed, and they call, and they say, oh, no, that's not drunkenness. If you're losing a little bit of control, and, and, and that, you're crossing a line there. But... But the Bible doesn't put those kinds of restrictions. But, you know, maybe one believer doesn't feel like uh, drinking alcohol is bad and another believer is shake. According to Paul, he'd be like, dude, you should never drink if, it, if it's not love. But what he is saying that we are free. Drink, you know, in, enjoy life. You know, you know, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Even Paul said to Timothy, hey, have a little bit of wine for your, for your stomach. Even Jesus turned water into wine, right? Like he enjoyed life. He enjoyed those kinds of things. There, uh, Psalms actually says that God created wine to make the heart of man glad. Well, that's kind of an interesting verse, isn't it? Uh, so there is, uh, but the point is what? It's not about your freedom, is it? Man, in American culture, we just take that freedom word, don't we? Entitlement, me, my freedom, and we're so narcissistic, we're so self-centered that we have completely twisted the word of God 
that we are to live in community and everything is to be out of love. And so on one hand, you don't allow someone to make you a slave to their moral rules. On the other hand, you don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil or selfishness, but love. Well, in this context, as Paul is talking about love, he makes a statement about the kingdom of God that is super important and, that sh- and really can help us to understand how to create the atmosphere of heaven in our homes. Obviously, this is just how to live out love. This is just one key way to live out this principle of love. And he says it right here in verse 16 and then 17. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's obviously basing his comments about eating and drinking by comparing and contrasting the kingdom of God, what it is and what it isn't, with their ceremonial rules. What is he saying? He's saying the kingdom of God is not a matter of outward rules and ceremonies and rituals. It's not what matters. But he says the kingdom of God is characterized by what? It's not characterized by a bunch of fighting about what is the ceremonial right way to do it. Like if they're they're not in heaven, being like, oh, don't eat that. You know what I'm saying? But what's going on in the kingdom of God? He says the kingdom of God is characterized or is... Righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason why he says in the Holy Spirit is because where the Spirit is, that's where the kingdom is. And the Holy Spirit's in us, and God has established his kingdom in us. But he is describing the nature or the character traits of the kingdom of God. And as I was studying this a while back, the Lord began to show me something. You know how the Holy Spirit, as you're studying the scriptures, he'll show you from, from this scripture, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will start cross-referencing or kind of uh, illuminating other scriptures and pulling it together. And I began to realize that the reason why the kingdom of God is characterized by righteousness, joy, and peace, this is simple, is because God is that way. Right, God, it's the kingdom of God, right? It's where he governs, it's where he rules, it's where he leads. So, so we, we've been talking about this. Why, why is heaven full of joy and peace? It actually says in the Psalms that before God's throne is joy and strength and glory. Literally, in his presence. In the atmosphere of heaven is literally supercharged with the glory and the strength and the joy of of God. Do you know that God is called the God of peace like at least a half a dozen times in the New Testament? He's a God of peace. He's a God of hope. Literally, you come into the presence of God and you experience what? Joy, peace, righteousness. Why? Because that's what's in his heart. We've actually been learning this and growing this in, as a church for many months from now, right? We've been learning about the desires in God's heart, that he is not an angry God. He's not depressed. He's not sad. But he's full of burning desire, jealous love, that he's a joyful God, that he delights in his people. Does he get angry at sin? Yeah, because righteousness hates wickedness. Righteousness, joy, and peace. The atmosphere in heaven is filled with the joy and the peace and the righteousness of God because God is righteous, joyful, peaceful. Because there's not anxiety or anger or strife in the heart of God. Right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune God. Three distinct persons, one God in unity, oneness. There is absolute oneness and unity Wholeness, healthiness in relationship, unity in the Trinity, love. There's absolute righteousness in the heart of God. And there's joy in the heart of God. And that is what characterizes or what shapes the atmosphere of heaven. What, what, What was it like when people came into contact with Jesus? How did he affect people think about it think about the woman who came and fell at Jesus' feet weeping and washing his feet with her tears why did she do that because she encountered Jesus right and what did Jesus speak over her he said because her sins have been forgiven 
she has loved much. Because she's been forgiven much. She has loved much. And he speaks to her and he says, your sins are forgiven. And what did it cause her to do? How did she respond to Jesus with great thankfulness and adoration? Overwhelmed. Why? Because I'm forgiven. What happens when people come into the presence of Jesus? They felt loved and accepted. They heard his words, the gospel of a good father. And they saw that this one who has the authority to judge or to forgive has come to forgive. Remember Jesus said that, right? I did not come to condemn, but to give eternal life. What about his disciples? You have a bunch of fishermen hanging out with Jesus and tax collectors and things like that. And they begin to argue about who is better. Who's greater, right? Remember John and James? They're like, hey, Jesus, you want us to like call down fire on that like city over there? And what did he say to them? He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. He told them, no, 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 no. And he said, I did not come to condemn or to destroy. He said, I did not come to destroy men's life, but to give life, to save life is what he said. But why is it that these men all of a sudden began to think that they could do anything? Because he imparts strength. You come into the presence of the one who created you in his image. You find yourself. Right? Jesus said you, die, you find your life by losing your life for his sake. When you lose your life, meaning you surrender to Jesus, you find who you were meant to be. You come into the presence of God and you receive confidence and strength because you discover who you were always created to be. Now, it's funny because he also caused people to get really angry at him and kill him. He is also called the rock of offense, right? Because he always stands against flesh, pride, self, and that has to die to get the good stuff. What I'm saying is, you can see what Jesus is like by what he says and what he does and how he affected people. That the kingdom of God is characterized by joy and peace and righteousness because God is that way. What is Jesus' government called? It's called the government of peace. Because God always governs with peace. Now look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 40 something. No, never mind, just joking. 39. Luke chapter 6, verse 39. This This is how it relates to us. All right, Luke chapter 6, verse 39. This is how Jesus is, begins. So Jesus is telling a parable, a story to people, and he says, uh, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not perceive the plank that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank for your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. And then he tells a parable about this. I mean, he's already been kind of speaking in parables. Verse 43. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. For, for men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the what? Heart. The what speaks? Mouth speaks, right? What's the fruit he's talking about? Good fruit, bad fruit. What's the fruit? It's our words and how they affect other people. He's actually, what's the point of the parable? The point of the parable is he's saying, watch out for these false teachers who teach you something but don't know it and don't live it. I always say that's like you asking me to fix your car. It's going to end up really bad, right? Why would you go to ask somebody for advice who doesn't live it? 
yet we'll go and ask people spiritual advice or relational advice from fools or people who are bound. Jesus is saying, be careful. Just because they say the right words and just because they're religious leaders, because he's actually he's talking about the blind leading the blind, the religious leaders leading people having no clue where they're leading people because they have theory, but they don't really know God. And he's saying, don't eat that fruit. But in that, he gives this huge kingdom principle where he says, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit, for every tree is known by its fruit. Every tree is known by its fruit. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The kingdom of God is characterized by righteous joy and peace because that's what's in God's heart. That's his character. And he releases that through his words. And the principle that I think is very, very fundamental to understanding how to walk in love, how to walk in healthy relationships, kingdom, to establish the kingdom on earth as is in heaven kind of thing, right? Is that whatever kingdom is in you, you will produce outside of you. Whatever is in you shapes what is outside of you. The kingdom inside of you shapes the kingdom outside of you through your words. So Jesus says, I can look at the fruit and I know what kind of tree it is, right? Remember how... um, which, which he's referring to, again, words. He can listen. Jesus is saying, I can hear your words. Out of the abundance of the mouth speaks. I can hear your words, and I know what's in your heart. But he can also, he's also saying, I can see where you're leading people, how you affect people, what kind of atmosphere you create around you. Right? Jesus discipled people, and they became what? Like him. So he imparted himself to them. How? Through his words. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He discipled people imparting who he was to them through his words. And they became like him. Love, mercy, extravagant givers, bold, confident, give their life for the lost. Right? He imparted that to them. So you can look at who's discipling you and know that it's Jesus. Because he says in verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And so Jesus is saying, you can look at the fruit and you know what tree it is. I can see how you affect people. I can hear the words coming out your mouth and I know what's going on in your heart. You remember how in James he says that my tongue is like the rudder of a ship? Your tongue literally will shape the course of your life. As you speak, That's how your mind goes. As you speak, that's how your body goes. Your words are like, literally, your words, your tongue is like the rudder of a ship. Very small, but absolutely in control. That's what he says in James, right? Now, what is behind a boat? Right? You got a speedboat going across the water, maybe Lake Havasu or something like that. And what's behind the boat? A wake. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your tongue is like the rudder of the ship, and the wake that you leave is how you're affecting people. So I can look at the wake and see where you've been. I can look at how you affect people. I can look at your home. I can look at the kids. I can look at um, uh, uh, your workplace. I can look at how you affect people, and I know. I can look at the wake of the boat, and I can see the boat. All directed by what? The rudder. Your tongue. The kingdom inside of you shapes the kingdom outside of you through your words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so God releases the atmosphere of heaven, righteousness, joy, and peace. What do you release? What's in your heart? I make a good commercial, right? What's in your wallet, right? 
What's in your heart? What's coming out of your mouth? And how is that affecting others? Look at the atmosphere around you. And how are you affecting other people? Listen to these Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 20 through 21. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. It's making a parallel. Just as you eat food and it goes through your mouth and into your stomach, so when you speak words out loud, it goes into your heart and either brings death or life. And Jesus even talked about this. That's why he even said, he said, dude, you eat food, it goes into your stomach, doesn't affect you, but the words you speak is what affects your heart. It's the rudder of your ship. It's what shapes the atmosphere around you. He also says this, uh, Proverbs also says this in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Basically saying life flows from your heart. The boundaries, the territories, uh, one translation says your li- the, the course of your life is determined by what's coming out of your heart. What's in your heart will determine the course of your life. Success or failure, life or death, blessing or not. Oh, but I thought it was like the demons messing with me. No, it's you. It's your words. No, I thought it was so-and-so because, you know, they didn't believe in me. No, it's you. It's what's in your heart. Now, it's true. What people say over you and you believe it is going to change your heart. That's why the Bible says, watch what's going in your ears and what's going through in your eyes. Right there in Proverbs 4, it says, make sure that my word is going into your eyes and going into your ears. Why? So that you only hear what God is saying. So you only believe what God is believing. See, think about it. You want earths you want human results speak human words you want heaven's atmosphere you want heaven's results you want the kingdom of god you speak words of the kingdom this is why over and over again we challenge as a church we say this is we believe the word of god and we speak the word of god and we come into agreement and alignment with what the word says not with how we feel not with how we perceive things Because we understand that what's inside our hearts shapes what's around us by our words. This is super important, especially where you're in leadership, especially where you're the one who's the influencer. But not just. Every member of a team affects the team. Every person in a church affects the relationships in the church. Every member of a family affects the family. But especially those, the mom and the dad, or let's say a single parent, sets the spiritual, emotional, relational tone or atmosphere in that home. And what's going on is what's the atmosphere in your home, for, to be specific, is being shaped by you and what's in your heart. And it's coming out of your mouth. And, if there, and, I'm not, and I'm not even talking about demonic. I mean, there is demons out there, but it's when you speak words and you agree with the enemy and then he comes in on that. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that you can walk into a room and you could feel, I know you guys are, look, we're spiritual beings. Spiritual doesn't just mean like angels and demons. We are spiritual beings. You could walk into a room and you could feel if two people are in conflict, can't you? You can feel it. It's spiritual. You can sense that. If there's anxiety on the inside of you, that's what gets created on the outside of you. If you have anger on the inside of you, that's what gets created on the outside of you. That's the atmosphere that you're creating. If there's joy on the inside of you, that's the atmosphere you're creating. Peace, that's the atmosphere you're creating. This is what Paul means by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, 
faithfulness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Christ being formed in me by the Spirit, right? Is, it not, is the fruit of the Spirit, it is, it is Jesus' character in me, yes? Then how do I release that character, that fruit outside of me? My words. When Paul was talking about the fruit of the Spirit, he was not just talking about something personal and individualistic like we normally like to interpret things. He was talking about the dynamic of our relationships. He was describing what love looks like. Relationships that, that have the character of Christ, individuals that have the character of Christ in them, and shape the atmosphere around them by their words, look like joy and peace, righteousness, love, and gentleness, patience, self-control. That's what it looks like. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the character of Christ in me that shapes everything and others around me. You say, oh, I just want peace in my home. A quick-tempered man produces strife, the Proverbs say. Strife, comparing, arguing. It's coming from your heart, through your words, and affecting other people around you. Many of us were raised in homes like this. It's part of your wounding, (laughs) that you look to the Lord to be your father and allow him to heal you. Right, amen? We need that healing. Praise God. But when you were raised in a home where people were yelling at you and angry and things like that, that created an atmosphere of anger where you didn't feel trust. You didn't feel safe. Of course people are going to argue and fight and be defensive in an atmosphere of anger. Because you have to defend yourself. You have to be on guard all the time, right? Or an atmosphere where there is no love and affection. You just kind of have to tough it out on your own, right? Maybe the, the, uh, uh, a non-verbal or a non-affectionate dad or physically absent or emotionally absent, right? Or even mom, you know, mom who's emotionally absent. You just kind of like have to tough it on your own. Does that make sense? Without that, without that presence of love that's flowing from the heart, into that atmosphere, you have, basically, you have kind of fend for yourself, don't you? Kind of make it on your own kind of thing. And you create that atmosphere in a home, and it creates those kinds of children. I mean, what kind of, what kind of disciple are you making in your home, for those of your parents? What kind of atmosphere do you create? What do you impart to people? What do they walk away with from you? Do they become more like Jesus? Do you impart joy and peace, confidence to them like Jesus did or something else? And none of us are perfect, but that's the question. That's why I think this is such a core principle because it causes us to look at our hearts, not condemnation, not self-analyzation, but to look and say, how are other people affected? What's the atmosphere around me? And how am I contributing to that? And I'll tell you, if you're the parent in that equation, mostly you. Mostly you. <clears throat> you know, in, in churches where there's division and things like that, where, where is that being created by? It's being created because on the inside they view God as a judgmental God. They, they, they're trying to earn God's approval, right? So, in a church atmosphere like that, you walk in and... If I'm better than you, I feel good. And if I'm worse than you, I feel condemned. And that becomes the tone, the atmosphere of that church. And what is it? Competition? Judgment? Gossip? All because of what? What's going on in the heart? Why do you think, for example, we preach so much about the goodness of God, the grace of God? Because our relationships must be characterized by His character of grace. And if we believe a God, if we believe a God that is angry and judgmental, which is not the true God, then you end up with that in your heart and you end up with that in your relationships. And then policies and rules and laws become more important than people. Things like that. See, this shapes a lot of how I process my own home. Does that make sense? This, this shapes how I look at my home. This shapes how I look at the church. This sh- shapes how I look at every relationship. Very, very applicable. If you'll take this principle, meditate on it, and ask the Lord to show you how to approach things. Because guarantee, if you'll just change your words, it will change what's going on in your heart 
and in your mind, because your tongue is the rudder of the ship, if you align your words with God's words. But also, if you'll change your words, it can transform relationships. Not, it's not always about agreeing or making somebody see it your way, but simply changing words can change everything. <clears throat> Think of it like, like this. You go, how do you talk about money? Kids are around, families around, whatever. How do you talk about money? Oh, man, I'm struggling again. Yeah, I don't have enough. You know? Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. I don't know what to do. I'm fed up with this. I'm tired of that. Right? How do you talk about money? What, is that? What, is that? what does that create in the hearts of the people? What does that create in your own heart? What does it create in the hearts of your kids, for example? Oh, we don't have enough. We don't have enough. Oh, just struggling. How do you talk about the future? How do you talk about their destiny, right? Some of us have had parents, oh, you can't do anything. Oh, you'll never amount to anything. What does that create in their heart, right? You have the, word, you have the authority, the power of life and death in your tongue. How do you talk about problems? Do you see the problems or the solution? Oh, yeah, there's a problem there. There's a solution. Or do you say, oh, it's so hard. Life's so hard. I can't. I can't. Those words, those vocabulary words, shape how you perceive reality. They're not reality. And your kids grow up in that atmosphere. Or do you speak words that empower other people and Call forth their destiny. Speak words of life. Yeah, yeah, life is hard. Life can be difficult, but the diligent prosper. Yeah, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? We're not talking about, you know. We're, we're talking about speaking words of life, speaking words of truth. You know, one of the things I, I tell my kids, and I'd like to actually, I'll probably do a devotional with them on this, but, you know, and they're, they're like, you know, so there's like one bowl of crackers, and they're like fighting over the crackers. I go, hey, hey, hey. Are there more crackers? Yeah. Where are the, where are the crackers? There's more in the bag of crackers in the, in the cupboard. What, what, if, what if we ate all the crackers in the house? Are there more crackers? Yeah. Where? Well, we just go to the store. That's right. We can always share because there's always more. What am I creating them? I'm breaking a poverty mentality. I'm teaching them how to think the right way. Right? Economics 101. It's always enough. And then the kingdom would be even better. <laughs> right? What do I do when I talk to my kids about problems that they're facing? Hey, we can, hey, help. Hey, let's stop. Take a deep breath. What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do? There's got to be a solution, right? What am I doing? I'm imparting, empowering them. But what happens when we get frustrated with our kids? You always do this. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? What are you telling them? You're an idiot. There's something wrong with you. Why do you do that? You know why we say those kind of things, right? Because we're out of control ourselves. What are we imparting to them? What are we communicating to them? I'll tell you, I never understood, just to give you an example, I never understood the word gentleness in the Bible until a few months ago. Now, I understand, you know, the, the, those of you who know some of the Greek and you've heard preaching on this before, the word gentleness comes from oftentimes translated meekness. And Jesus said, I am lowly and meek in heart, you know? And uh, one of the fruit of the Spirit is meekness or gentleness. depends on your translation. And, you know, I've, dude, I've heard it preached before, okay? Some of you heard this before. Meekness isn't weakness. Yeah, right? Anyone hear this? Meekness is strength under control. Anyone ever hear that before? I've, I've heard it before. I never understood it. See, I'm one of those people that I like to know how to live something out. I go, God, what does that look like? You know, I don't know. What do you do? Am I gentle? I don't know. You know, idea. What does that look like? You know, I mean, like, talk nice and soft. I mean, I have no idea. But I've been just, I've been pressing in. I probably meditate and, and just kind of think through the fruit of the Spirit or like 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. I think through that probably almost every day, you know, as I align my heart with the Lord and just say, Jesus, you know, Give you lordship over my heart and show me to walk in the spirit today. Lord, just help me to produce the fruit of love and joy and peace and all that kind of thing. I just kind of pray through that and focus my mind. Kind of, you know, got to get psyched up for the game, right? Every day. Every day is the game. So you just pray, seek the Lord, and just focus on him and just say, Lord, help me walk in these ways. Well, the Lord began to show me some areas in my heart. My, my daughter, she's amazing. And she's really strong. 
And she's just turned three, and so you can imagine what it's like when she was two. And um, I love her strength. And I've never wanted to diminish her strength. Never wanted to diminish her strength. But she must learn to submit to authority. In fact, I've, I've met a number of ladies who are strong and confident, but they didn't have a male figure who could both be strong and who, and who could be gentle. And so they, don't, they fear authority and they dishonor authority. I've seen that. But I know that my daughter, if she could understand how to trust authority, that she can both be confident and submitted, which is what I, is kingdom is healthy. So I, um, I try to do that with my daughter. But I don't know, about six months ago, probably about four months ago, I was getting so frustrated with her. Right? I, mostly just, my own tiredness or my own whatever. See, because when you blame someone else, you have abdicated your responsibility, right? So, I mean, I'm, you know, I got frustrated. I literally heard myself say, why do you do that? And then I was like, whoa. Because, I mean, I know. I know that's like the dumbest thing to say. And I go, it's like, oh, man, whoa. Something's going on. Something going on in Dave's heart. If Dave's saying that. And I noticed myself being harsh with her. Not firm. That would be good. Not consistent. That's always good. But harsh. I noticed a harshness in my attitude, in my words, right? Because if you study, if you do research, and if you want to start the mouth speaks, we all know that probably 90% is not words, but your inflection, right? It's because it's coming out of your heart. It's your attitude. I could just tell I was feeling, I was, it was harsh. So I sought the Lord, and the Lord really, literally began to give me a revelation of gentleness. It's like, it was so simple. I get it. It's the ability to be firm on what needs to be firm, a good leadership without the harshness. And guess what it communicates? You can trust me. Want to know why? Because it doesn't matter what you do. I remain the same. I love you no matter what. You can't get me to compromise my standards, righteousness. You can't get me to fold to you. Because you realize that's what happens also with parenting, doesn't it, right? Kids do things and we give in to them, right? We abdicate leadership and we allow kids to get away with stuff or in any environment. Fear of man in a workplace, for example, and you don't direct your workplace out of fear of man. So gentleness, this is why Jesus is meek, because he's a great leader, He's strong, isn't he? Does he ever compromise righteousness? Never. He does what's right. He'll never change. But he never is harsh. And I got it. Obviously, the Holy Spirit was giving me revelation as in personalization to me. And the Lord was showing me how to have meekness, strength under control, if you will. To realize all I need to do with my daughter is be completely consistent and gentle. I don't ever have to be harsh. I don't have to raise my voice. Now, I'm not saying I don't. I, I mean, I do sometimes. And sometimes I raise my voice to make a point. And, but, but generally, I've had this huge transformation in the last few months where like, literally there's not a harshness in my heart. Sometimes I'm tired or I get frustrated. So I'm not saying I'm perfect at this. But literally, that I can speak to her what she needs to do. And she can be freaking out. Because that's what she does. Freaks out. Oh, man. So, and I can take a deep breath, walk away, let her deal with her, and remain gentle. Guess what it does? It produces trust. It causes her to be at rest because she knows, number one, she knows I'm straight up. She can't get away with it, but I'm never going to hurt her heart because that's what we do oftentimes. We let people get away, and then we hurt their heart. You ever done that in an adult relationship? You don't say anything for a while, and then it explodes, and you say it the wrong way. That's harshness. That's not gentleness. That's not self-control. That's not speaking the truth in love, instead of just being forthright with people, right? And those types of habits, whether the right way or the wrong way, create that atmosphere around us, either atmospheres of trust, safety, rest, peace, 
joy, delighting in one another because we don't feel judged, we feel enjoyed and loved and accepted, or the opposite. You see what I'm saying? This is why forgiveness is absolutely essential. This is, this is why all these different principles in the scriptures about reconciliation. What did Jesus say? Peacemakers will be called sons of God. Why? Because peacemakers create peace. They aim for reconciliation. This is why, like, in this church, I'm always, you know, I'm talking with people oftentimes about, hey, why don't we work for reconciliation in this thing? Why don't we say that a different way? I'll confront people, but I'll also speak words of life and honor over them. Why? Because it's essential the way we say it is essential to how it cre- what it creates in their hearts and in our, in our relationships. So let me just say this. Like, let's say you're at work. And you've got, you say, but Dave, you don't understand, I'm not the boss of my work. And it's a crazy environment. There's so much strife and all this, all this stuff. What would I say to you? Well, number one, you may not be the one in authority, humanly speaking, but you are a child of God and you have the spirit of God in you. So spiritually speaking, you have the greatest authority. Everything's under your feet. You can change an atmosphere through worship. That's one thing right there. What do I do? Go home, worship. Worship the Lord. Establish the presence of God through worship. He inhabits the praise of his people. Go to your workplace and bless. Speak words of blessing. See, what happens when your workplace is full of gossip and somebody's gossiping to you and you agree with them? You dishonor your boss. Oh, but he didn't hear. You create that atmosphere. But what happens when you say something? You don't have to like rebuke them. Oh, you don't say that. You're not supposed to gossip. The Bible says my pastor told me. You know, yeah, no. That created another atmosphere. Okay. Just do this. Speak words of honor. That's what I do all the time. People say stuff and I go, yeah. But look at their heart, because I hate judging people's motives. I will always call forth the fruit. I'll say, oh yeah, totally, that, that's behavior that's messed up. But I'll never condemn or accuse someone's motives. So that's what I'll do. I'll speak words of life. I'll speak words of honor. And what do I do? I change the atmosphere right there. You walk into an atmosphere and you sense like chaos or whatever. One thing you can do, pray right there. Pray in English. Pray in your spiritual language. Before work, maybe, you know? Just you go worship in that work atmosphere or you speak words of blessing and life over the employees. And you begin to take authority. And then in those relationships, you choose to say something different. You choose to speak words of life. You choose to speak words that would lead to reconciliation and not conflict. See what I'm saying? You choose to move in that direction. And I guarantee, if you're the boss, yeah, you set the atmosphere. But even if you're not, you can change a spiritual atmosphere in your home. You can transform the spiritual atmosphere with your kids, leading them in worship, leading them in prayer, or even when they're not around, just the way you pray and the way you condition your heart. You co- you're coming home, and you're tired, and you're grumpy, and you know something could set you off. What do you do? Stop. Take a deep breath, five minutes or whatever, before you enter your house. Take a deep breath. Pray in the Spirit. Worship the Lord. Get back into the Word. Come into your house. I'm going to love. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to have joy. I'm going to have peace. These are the kind of things I have to do all the time. I have to choose to come to my house and say, I will rejoice. They can be crazy, right? Like you can come in, my kids can be like, Daddy, we love you, and hug my leg and tackle me, and you're just like, oh, I feel so loved. Or they could just totally be like crazy when you walk in. They could be having the worst day in the world. My kids could be out of control. They haven't taken a nap. I want food. Right? It could be either way. What am I going to do? I have to choose to be who I am despite what they do. And if they're crazy, yeah, they're going to have to set, you know, I'm going to be like, oh, okay, oh, dude, you're out of control. You need to go to your room. That's one of the reasons we do that. That's one of the reasons we set a boundary in my home. If you're not fun, you go to your room. Why? Because you don't get to shape the atmosphere. I do. If you cannot be in a healthy relationship with me, then you need to go sit on timeout. I'll tell my son, you know, stop whining. Okay, that's it, go. Go to your room until you're done. This is not okay. It's part of having boundaries. It's part of discipline. My kids can't play good together. I go, go in your room. Play by yourself. Can't play fair. You know, they can't play nice. Don't play at all. Go over there. And then they get in control and they come back and they have fun. And we talk that through. We don't just like, you know, do that. We talk it through. We talk to them. We, we work things out. Do you see what I'm saying? And so whether it's your workplace, you have to be conscientious or your home, you have to be conscientious of saying, Lord, I want to release your atmosphere. I'm going to speak your words. I'm going to worship. I'm going to speak words of blessing. The Bible says, blessing exalts a city, but wickedness tears it down. The blessing of the righteous exalts a city, I mean. Um, and so, like I said, go back to the questions. End with this. Go back to the questions. 
What's going on in your heart? Is your heart shaped by the fruit of the Spirit? Do you have the character of Christ in you? If not, you go after him. You go after the Lord. And you direct your mind, your body, your heart with your words, right? Meditate these words day and night. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate the word. You speak the word of God out loud. You get close to Jesus and let his character rub off on you and you get transformed. We've been talking about this. You become like Christ by being with Christ. So do that. But then, how do you shape the atmosphere around you? What's coming out of your mouth? Not just when people are around, but when they're there. What are you establishing? Right? You see your kids acting all crazy and you're like, it's their fault. What atmosphere are you creating for that? And you can help them. They're responsible. Every human being, even a kid, is responsible for their choice. But you can help them to choose. You can create an atmosphere. Okay, an atmosphere of anger is going to cause them to rebel. But an atmosphere of peace and gentleness and kindness is going to give them the safety. For, right? I will sit down with my daughter. My daughter was acting all crazy last Sunday. There's something going off, right? And I knew what it was. She was just kind of off because I could just tell, I think she felt rejected. You're like, dude, she's like not even, she's three. Yeah, she's a human being. She's a spirit. She has a soul. She lives in a body. People are people. And I was able to get down with her and begin to, you know, try in that, we were with a lot of family and stuff like that, and try to give to her what she needs. Does it mean that like if she's acting out and disobeying that I don't discipline it? Oh, oh, she's really having a hard time. Don't discipline. No, what are you talking about? Dude, I'm straight up. Sit on time out. No, but then I go over and I don't just discipline behavior. I look at the heart. What's going on? And I begin to help her process through that. Does it make sense? I sit down with her. I say, baby, what's going on? You know, and obviously I don't talk all deep with her. You know what I'm saying? I got to make it all complicated with her. But I just spoke words of life over her. And I created an environment her with me, where she could be safe. And I, also, I made sure that there would be boundaries for her so that she just wasn't acting crazy and making that feeling of rejection even worse because you know what happens, right? Out of control child, because of fear of rejection, more rejection. I'm telling you, this happens all the time. And if you think about it, if it never gets checked and it never gets healed, can you imagine how many people, kids becoming adults, spiral out of control? into poverty, into coping mechanisms, into destructive behaviors, right? Well, dude, we don't want to go that direction. We want to go the other direction. We want the momentum of an increase of the kingdom of God, amen? We want to establish the atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven so that our kids can excel. They can become the most emotionally healthy, the most intellectual, the most confident, rising up into their destiny, right? The most loving and giving, extravagant people, not selfish, not guarded, not defensive, right? We want to keep atmospheres of trust so that they can have the healthiest relationships. Amen? It's the same thing in your workplace. Let's say you're the boss. You want to impart the greatest to your people, that they would become the, who they were meant to be or your neighbor, or your friend, or your coworker, that you would reflect Christ to them so they could encounter Jesus and become who they were meant to be. Do you see what I'm saying? All right. So you create the atmosphere outside of you, but what's inside of you through your words. That's how we produce fruit in others and in our homes and our relationships. Amen?